They lose at Wyoming, who is just terrible this year. Then they lose at home to UNLV, who started great, didn't finish great. And then you lose your first round game to a really good San Jose State team, who, yeah. side note, got absolutely robbed. Should have been an NIT team. Let the duck dance, Let man. Let the duck dance. What is going Hashtag, on? They'll dance in the CIT. CBI. And, oh, CBI. But, tomato, yeah, tomato. Yeah, tomato, close tomato. Enough. Potato, tomato. Um, nah. Anyways, I thought Nevada, you look at their resume, 37th in in the net. And, I, I mean, they have a lot of big wins, especially in the conference, right? They have wins. They beat San Diego State. They beat New Mexico. They beat Boise State. And they beat Utah State. I think they went one-on-one against all those teams. Yeah. It's just they, they finished so poorly that it was like, you know, you got to finish the season strong. But fortunately, the committee didn't completely see it that way. And that was huge respect to the Mountain West Conference. Here's the thing, though, my man. Mm-hmm. Well, and hold on, hold on. If, you, if you're just tuning in, this is the Aggie Radio Sports Show on uh, 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. And, of course, I'm your host, Jake Ellis, along me, alongside with me, Jacob Nielsen, your other host, uh, uh, we are journalists that cover Utah State Athletics, uh, and we're talking all things March Madness. So what was the other thing you're getting to there, Jacob? Uh, the other thing is massive respect shown from the committee to get Mountain West teams in. Here's the deal. This is the second year in a row. They get four teams in. What has to happen? Everything that didn't happen last year. Yep. Last year, here's what happened. Wyoming lost to Indiana. San Diego State lost in overtime to Creighton. Matt Bradley missed some free throws down the stretch, so they should have won that game. Mm-hmm. Guess what else happened? Boise State, they got absolutely blitzed. And Colorado State got blitzed by Michigan. Boise State got blitzed by, by Memphis. I forgot who it was Memphis. for a second. It was an ugly, ugly showing. This year, I think things are a little bit more favorable. San Diego State is a, is a fifth seed. Contrary to what David Cobb of CBS Sports will tell you, <laughs> they should be the heavy favorites against Charleston. Yeah. They're the much better team. They're going to get that done. They're just too physically imposing for a, for a little CAA team to handle, I think, even though Charleston's got pl- good players. Then you look at the 7-10 lines. Utah State and Boise State have manageable games. I would say that Boise State probably has the better matchup for yeah. the little things I know about Northwestern. But those are both games that Boise State and Utah State are favored in early in the Vegas lines. Manageable wins. And then you got Nevada playing Arizona State, which is really interesting because Cambridge Jr., he transferred from Nevada to Arizona State for for the Wolfpack. It was an addition by subtraction to get Sherfield and Cambridge out of there. Yeah. For the Arizona State, uh, excuse me, I almost said the Arizona State Wildcats. That one, <laughs> our friends down in the valley would not have been happy. Yeah. <laughs> the Arizona State Sun Devils. Uh-huh. For those guys, Cambridge has been awesome for me. Hit that game-winning half-court shot against Arizona. So that'll be an awesome game. I believe it's Wednesday night in Dayton in the first four. And so yeah. you look off the bat, last year it was it was tough seeing because, I mean, Colorado State, yes, they were a, a six seed, but you get an 11 seed of a Michigan team that didn't have a great resume, but they have so much talent that once they get in there, you know, they can roll. And so this year, maybe the seeding isn't as good, but I think the, the matchups are more favorable for the Mountain West. And they got to win at least two games in the first round, if not three, to really um, pick up some credit from from the nation yeah no you're exactly right i mean to go oh for four obviously you know one of those was really close uh you know a, a good ball game um but to go oh for four is just a you know a disservice to the conference right it, you know the, it seems like these guys are slouches so if you can turn that message around i think it's big and i think it helps uh, the mountain west get more bids throughout the future because 
you know, obviously a lot of people kind of thought the Mountain West was only going to get three bids this this time around, including myself. I didn't I didn't think Nevada did enough when they lost to San Jose State. San Jose State. I think that was one they needed to win to get in. Obviously, I was wrong because um, that San Jose State squad is good. I think that was quad two in the neutral site. So, you know, obviously not the worst loss in the world. Um, but, yeah, I didn't I didn't see Nevada getting in. So, like you said, lots of respect to the conference. It's important to get a win here. Um, you know, at least at least two, I think, because I think, you know, San Diego State should take care of business. And then if Boise State or Utah State can take, you know, down one of their tougher matchups, uh, you know, lo- lower seeded. But like you said, both, you know, early favorites. I think some of them have gotten more even on the betting odds. But, yeah. So now, Jake, here's the thing. Is this a Mountain West Conference radio show? No. This is an Aggie radio show. <laughs> Let's talk some Utah State basketball. First thing, I just want to briefly go over the weekend. We were both in Las Vegas. Really, really fun tournament. Turn- tournament. Tournament. I, there you man, go. I'm really, uh, that, that <laughs> was rough. Anyways, I have had the opportunity to go the past four years, so it's been interesting to kind of compare and contrast. This was the largest crowd of Utah State students that I've seen, even bigger than the 2020 year with Sam Merrill. I think there might have been more alumni at that 2020 year, but students-wise, massive turnout. Shout-out to the herd. Sometimes we're critical on the herd for the show. Not, yeah. not because we don't like them, but because we care, right? Sure. You yeah. know, and it's a little tough loving. They absolutely knocked it out of the park, really created a great atmosphere, especially that semifinal game against Boise State. I think they really turned it into the, the Spectrum South. It was definitely not the extra mile south, no. as Leon Rice no. suggested it could be. And... I mean, it's really fun to see Utah State what they can do with rested legs because it's the same thing we saw after they lost to San Jose State. They looked a little bit sluggish after they lost to or excuse me after they barely beat Wyoming and Laramie. They looked a little sluggish. They had that week off. Then what do they do? They come in and they look really really strong on the road at UNLV. Win that game by a large margin. Same thing happened to start this tournament. You had a few days from Saturday. To Thursday where you weren't playing after they beat Boise State in the spectrum they come in and they shoot the lights out against New Mexico win by double digits New Mexico they fought like like lions for for a lot of that game like credit to the Lobos that was a that was a very entertaining game extremely entertaining quarterfinal game Utah State especially Taylor Funk I mean he shoots 32 goes for 32 points yeah he gets 16 of those in the first five minutes. Just a Will Baker-esque performance, <laughs> as I saw someone say on Twitter. But, I mean, just that shows, hey, fresh legs, this is what that team is capable capable mm-hmm. of. And then I think we saw in the semifinals, they are capable of something they've done all season, which is come back from a deficit, but then also buckle down defensively. They held Utah uh, with Boise State to without a main field goal from the nine-minute mark to the two-minute mark mm-hmm. of the second half. And so you put those two things together – defensive effort, fresh legs, you can see, hey, this team is really good. San Diego State, they didn't quite have it. Credit the Aztecs because they did a lot of things to deny the pick and roll. They did a lot of things to keep Utah State out of transition. The tired legs made it so a lot of the open threes that Yagi still got did not go in. Tough calls down the stretch, including the Taylor Funk shot clock thing. All right, just really quick, your thoughts on that. Taylor Funk, it, it, for all of, y- all of y'all that don't remember, Utah State's down, I believe it was 46-44 with like six minutes left in the game. Taylor Funk, late shot clock, puts up a three-pointer. He's been cold all day. Goes in to take the lead. Um, they reverse it. The rest reverse the call. 
we were in the in the stadium. We didn't get a good replay, but you can see on TV, it's boom boom. I don't know how they had enough evidence to overturn it. What did you think, Jake? Yeah, no, that's that's the exact right thing there. Uh, you know, if this was a college football game, uh, you know, where you couldn't get a clear camera angle at the goal line, something like that, it's a play that stands. That's the best way I could describe it. Where I just I don't see how they put together enough video evidence there to overturn that call. It's a really tough one to swallow. Obviously, you know, you can't blame the game on one call, as Stephen Ashworth said. If you're um, if you're a part of the the Boise State media, you sure as hell. Can. Oh sure, but hey, side note, <laughs> the Boise State media, man, <laughs> they are outrageous fellas. You know, we are a little bit biased here at Utah State because we all go to school here or we're from here, but we don't we don't let that bleed into our actual news stories and our actual coverage we'll complain on twitter a little bit we're a little bit more biased on this show because it's you know the the student run radio right yeah but these are grown professional men that just you know boise state they are just ridiculous fans after the semifinal mm-hmm. game which we- and, I, and i will say really quick like semifinal game was probably one of the worst officiating crews i've seen in person in a while i probably dating back to that utah state st mary's game um, but I, you know, I would say it just from an objective standpoint, it, it seems like it was pretty balanced with bad calls on both sides. Yeah. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Stephen Ashworth getting called for a block, right? Um, he picks up his, his third foul there uh, late in the first half. And just, you know, something like that. That is very similar to that Degan Hart block call, um, in my opinion there feels like it changed the momentum in the same way um but you're right i mean i, I get what you're, you're getting at yeah, well, that let me just give some context just, yeah so late in the second half late-ish digging Hart goes in the lane gets called for a charge i think it was rj Ellerock that met him there mm-hmm. um they wanted no no, no it was it so, was reverse it yes. was reverse rj yes. was driving in digging Hart was there they thought he was planted it was really really a boom boom the rest might have thought he was in the cylinder which he probably wasn't a boom boom play. They missed so many calls that game. This was just one. This was far less egregious than a lot of them because this one wasn't an outright terrible call. It was a boom boom play that could have gone either way. Yeah. I thought they probably got the wrong call. I don't think that that was clearly obvious though. Anyways, and I also don't think it's a pivotal pivotal call. Not a pivotal call because what what was pivotal was the fact that Utah State held Boise State to two points in the last from nine to two minutes to play, mm-hmm. and they outscored them twenty two to. To four in that stretcher, something crazy, right? And they win by double digits. Anyways, we go into the post game. There were three different questions asked by Boise State media about that <laughs> one call. It was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyways, championship game was tough. Mm-hmm. Credit San Diego State; they were the best team oh, in the league. Let me go back to uh, that Taylor Funk three. There was another Taylor Funk three. I used to, it was kind of cold. Most of the shots he got off, uh, you know, they just weren't. Didn't have enough legs on the run. Didn't man. have a great, you know, maybe wasn't the best angle that he, you know, is usually taking a shoot around, right? Um, he, uh, there was one earlier that um, I can't remember who ended up getting called for an offensive foul. I can't remember if it was a charge or a moving screen on an off-ball play. But Taylor Funk was in the corner, hit a three while that whistle's getting blown, and it gets pulled off too. So there's two three-pointers, and that's tough. Like, when you're having a tough day on the field, and then the ones you do make aren't counting, like, that's brutal. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly there were several different plays that Utah State would have liked to have back. 
that didn't quite go their way. They fought till the bitter end. San Diego State wins the Mountain West Conference title and the regular season, well-deserving. They get the five seed, as we mentioned at the top of the show. Utah State, they were on the bubble. Numbers-wise, they weren't anywhere near the bubble, but in terms of overall resume, I think that their lack of number of quad one wins and then the two losses to SMU and Weber State were hurting them. But all that aside, they get the 10 seed. Really interesting matchup. We're going to break that down, Utah State and Missouri, but first let's, uh, let's take a break here. Relationships Utah Initiative. Did you know the way we view our stress can change how it affects us emotionally, mentally, and even physically? You can do this by focusing on things you have control over and letting go of things you cannot control. USU's Healthy Relationships Utah Initiative offers a variety of free community courses online and in person that help singles, couples, and parents. Ciao! It's me, Lightning McQueen. You're listening to Aggie Radio, 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. Wow! J.C. Caldwell, Utah Statesman News Manager here. You know, now that I have you, you should pick up a copy of The Statesman, USU's student-run newspaper. A new issue comes out every Monday, and you can find them at almost any building on campus or read online at usustatesman.com. You do want to know what's happening on campus and in Logan, don't you? Anyway, I gotta run and grab a copy of my own. See you later. Hey Aggies, looking for new ways to get involved, make new friends, and get professional experience? Aggie Radio has a place for you. Find out how you can get involved at our website, radio.usu.edu, and we'll see you there. All right, everybody, Jake Ellis with you here, uh, back with the Aggie Radio Sports Show on 92.3 KBLULP Logan. I'm the sports editor of the Utah Statesman, joined by Jacob Nielsen former sports editor of the Statesman, a freelancer covering Utah State Athletics. So, Jacob, you are an analytics guy. You got a <laughs> Ken Palm account, man. Like, you're about as nerdy as it gets with sports uh, statistics, right? So go ahead and tell me why, uh, you know, or what the fans need to know coming into this matchup between number 10 seed Utah State and, uh, what is it, number 7? I'm getting lost in my math now. Missouri. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I never claimed to be a math major. <laughs> That's true. I never claimed to be a math major. But I do, in fact, have a Ken Palm account. I let Ken Palm do the math for me, you know? Yeah. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He from Salt Lake. Numbers. Lives in Salt Lake. Went to yeah, Wyoming. Yeah. Maybe sure. he's from, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know his life story. Lives in Salt Lake. Sure. Next time he comes to Utah State, I'm, I'm going to ask him, hey, what's yeah, your he life should. story? <laughs> he's a real talkative guy. I'm sure he'll... He's not really... He's kind of... Never mind. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Missouri. 51st in Ken Palm, a lot of similarities to the Aggies. Aggies are 18th in Ken Palm, so I think that's a big factor of why they're favorite. That's a big gap. Yeah, I mean, Utah right State there. is, um, they're better in a lot of the, the computer metrics, but obviously that's not everything, especially in a one-game, 40-minute uh, elimination. Anyways, 10th in adjusted offensive efficiency is the Missouri Tigers, and 
their um, effective field goal percentage is 55%, which is 17th in the country. So this is a team that gets buckets, and you know they got a lot of they got a lot of double-digit scores, and I mean, they're similar to the Aggies. They're really well balanced. They're they're led by Kobe Brown. He's their guard. He scores 16 points per game, and but they got a, a lot of other guys that can score at double digits or near double digits. Demoye Hodge, he's got 15 points per game. DeAndre Golston, he's at 11 point per game, and then Isaiah Mosley and Noah Carter are both almost at 10 points per game. So they're pretty much they have five or six guys that are right at that threshold. They score points. They know how to get it done. They're not quite as strong shooting the three-pointer as Utah State is. Still really good. I mean, they're 75th. They shoot at 36.1%, a little bit lower than Utah State. But, I mean, this is a team that offensively will be able to score against the Aggies, obviously, and they're going to test them. Um, and, I, and I think that, fortunately for Utah State, is on the other end of the spectrum, Missouri is only 178th in defensive efficiency. And, you know, they've had a handful of games where teams that you would say are below their level of competition have really been able to score against them. Let me just go through a couple with you. First game of the season against Southern Indiana, they gave up 91 points Whoa. in a win. Against Penn, the second game, they gave up 85. To SIU Edwardsville, they gave up 80. They gave up 84 to Wichita State, 89 to Southeast Missouri. And, you know, they've improved as the season has gone along, but they're still only 10th in the SEC in defensive efficiency. They are fourth in the SEC in offensive efficiency, and obviously that's a loaded league with uh, some of the teams in there. But, I mean, it's a good team. It's a seven seed, right? I mean, they have talent. They've won some big games. You know, they beat Tennessee twice to the second time to reach the semifinals of the SEC tournament before losing to Alabama in the semis. They were on a five-game win streak with some wins over decent teams. Mississippi State, that's tournament team Tennessee, but also Georgia, LSU, Mississippi, Ole Miss. I mean, Eh. So, I mean, good team. I don't think they're a great team. But they're still a seven seed, SEC talent. It's a lot. So I, what, are, what are your thoughts? What do you, I know you haven't had a chance. You've been really busy at school today. You haven't had a chance to look at them too much. But what, what do you know and what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think the, the big stickler there, um, especially for, you know, any national media types, is going to be that SEC talent, right? Um, Utah State has had their struggles against some, you know, more athletic teams, right? Um, I think the the big example there is San Diego State going 0-3 this season. But, you know, you do have a win over a Power 5 school in Washington State. You know, Power 5 in basketball, I don't know where that, right? I wouldn't say Washington State is a powerhouse in basketball by any means. But nonetheless, you've proven you can hang with some of those, you know, gifted uh, athletes out there that get these uh, P5 scholarships. So, you know, definitely something to consider. I think it will um, imply uh, in their depth um, something that San Diego State had as well, where, you know, they can pull someone off the bench. And, uh, you know, it's not necessarily always the same guy that's going off every night. They'll have someone have a big game and it'll rotate through. So uh, the Aggies will have to game plan for a lot of dangerous scores, make sure they don't have their career night against Utah State. Um, yeah, that, that's the main thing that I've been seeing. I've heard a lot, so tell me if this is you know accurate to what you've seen, but I've heard the best Mountain West comparison to them is New Mexico. Would you agree to that? I don't know. How, whereas you know their strength is offense, and on defense what they're going to try and do is turn the ball over, get out in transition, and try and score. That's why you know, I would say they're like the Lobos. 
I hadn't heard that, but that's actually a really good comp, I think, because, yeah, similar, New Mexico's got a lot of gifted guards, scores a lot of points, but then you also got Jalen House, you know, just busting guys defensively, trying to force turnovers. Mm -hmm. That's what Missouri does. As poor defensively as they are, like I said, they were 10th in the SEC, they're only 178th in defensive efficiency. Their turnover percentage is 5th in the nation. Yeah. 24.3%. And that's almost one out of every four possessions. They're turning over the basketball. That's really, really impressive. And their still percentage is 14.6%. Guess what? Utah State, they struggle with turnovers. That's the weakest part of their offense, you know? Their offensive turnover percentage is 118th in the country. And their still percentage is, well, it's not quite as bad. It's 51st in the country. But that is the mismatch because especially everything about Utah State's offense is top 20, top 30 that matters except for the turnover thing. So that's going to be something that Tennessee can exploit. I will say this. Missouri will exploit. Oh, my word. (laughs) I'm tripping. Thank thank you for that catch. I was still thinking about their quality wins. They had two over Tennessee. but So that's going to be something that Missouri will be able to exploit. But here's here's the thing, too, is both these teams, the the, the numbers don't completely do everything justice because it's such a long season. And a lot of these, you know, the, the data from the first part of the year take into account the second part of the year, right? And it so, sticks with you, especially, you know, you have an outlier like, you know, say, you know, the Tigers take on, what was it, Southeast Missouri State, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Sorry, I don't, I'm not familiar with the area, so I apologize <laughs> if I got the school wrong. But anyway, uh, you know, you, you play them again nine times out of ten, they're not going to give up 90 points again to them, but you know, that outlier sticks with you and brings down your metrics, I think, is kind of what you were mentioning there. Yeah, I mean, you look at, I, I think, when it comes to a body of work getting in the NCAA tournament, you have to look at all of those things. But when you look at a matchup in one game in one day at 40 minutes, maybe this, this what's going on later in the season is what matters most. In Tennessee, they've actually been respected, respectable Missouri. defensively. But, oh, my word, what's my deal? <laughs> you just like the volunteers, man, I just I guess. go Bulls, baby. Yeah. And, you know, Missouri... <laughs> They held Mississippi State in a win. Mississippi State's a terrible offensive team, but they held them to 64, <laughs> Georgia to 63, LSU to 76, Mississippi to 77. I'm actually not convincing myself that they've improved defensively because I'm reading this. I'm like, that's a bad team that you gave up 76 to. That's a bad team you gave up 77 <laughs> to. So may, maybe my whole point is moot. But. Well, here's the big thing, right, just while I have that in my mind. If Utah State can score 75 points or more, uh, They've only lost one game this season having scored that much, as far as I'm aware, if, if that note's still correct. It was like, you know, something along the lines of upper teens, like about 17, 18, and 1 in games like that. Yeah. No, the, the golden ticket for Utah State this year has been the 75 number, right? They ha- only have one loss in games that they've scored more than 75, and that was uh, against San Diego State in San Diego. And, you know, in games that they've held opponents – to below 75 points, they only have three losses, and that was to San Diego State at home, San Diego State in the championship game, and then San Jose State on the road. And so this that is kind of the magic number. And I bet if you look at Missouri, that would be a similar number of where they're at. They have a lot of wins where they win by double digits, and they're in the 80s, similar to the Aggies. And so you know, I think that they're pretty comparable in terms of scoring and stuff. They get it done differently, Utah State is more heavily reliant on the three-pointer but both teams can shoot it really really well and uh it should be a really fun matchup i think yeah i'm really glad this is a first round matchup obviously you don't want to be thinking far ahead or anything like that but 
you already mentioned how rest is going to be so important for this Utah State team, but anytime you have an offensive uh, dictated team, you know, like Missouri and Utah State, it's going to be important to, uh, you know, have that well-rested legs, to have that, that extra energy. So I'm really glad that this is a first-round game. Hopefully we'll see those high-power offenses shooting shooting out. You know, an, an old-fashioned Western shootout in Sacramento. I don't know if there's any Cowboys there at one point, but it was on the way to the gold <laughs> rush. So we'll we'll call it like, a, you know, an 1849-style duel. How about that? Yeah, I like that. That sounds good to me. One thing that Utah State deserves, I bring this up, this is something that I've written about a little bit and that I think we both acknowledge, but Utah State has significantly improved defensively as yeah. the season's gone on. They finished the Mountain West fourth in defensive adjusted defensive efficiency per Ken Palm. And so, you know, they've really gotten better defensively. And, I mean, we've seen that in some of the, the more recent games. You hold Boise State to 62 points, right? You hold UNLV on our home floor to 66. And so what version of the Aggies – defensively is going to come and I think that a lot of that dictates how they play offensively because you know Stephen Ashford talked about this after the San Diego State game because I asked him I said Stephen is this more about tired legs or is this more about San Diego State's defense he said it's probably a little bit of both but a lot of it had to do with our defense and he said even though they played well defensively they struggled to rebound and they struggled to create turnovers what what happened because of that they had less runouts they had less of, a, of an ability to dictate their pace offensively. So that's a big part of it on both sides of the spectrum is you got to play good defense to be able to slow these guys down. You also got to play good defense because if you don't get stops, the way Utah State runs in transition and stuff, they're not quite as effective in the half-court offense. They need those runs in transition to be able to score the basketball at the level they're going to need to to beat Missouri. Yeah. No, and, and exactly right there, the point, you know, obviously points off the turnovers are big, but uh, – even just any fast break points if i i don't have the numbers right in front of me but i remember that both of those numbers were in single digits for the aggies where when they pulled off these big wins against good teams those have been in double digit margins so it's going to be an important thing the aggies are at their best when they're running it's one of the core principles of aggie basketball i would say is yeah, getting out on the run so let's uh let's take another break on the other side we're going to talk more big picture about utah state and the ncaa tournament how did they get here culture-wise and as a team, and how big is this game for the program and its history? Stick around on Aggie Radio. Does that sound like a good thing to talk about? <laughs> this broadcast is brought to you by Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU and the University of Utah College of Pharmacy. Have you found yourself wanting to pursue a career in the healthcare field but aren't sure which path aligns to your interest? The answer may be in becoming a pharmacist. The University of Utah Pharmacy School offers small class sizes, research opportunities, and unique clinical experiences. You can find more information about their first-year initiative to help with tuition costs at pharmacy.utah.edu. That's pharmacy.utah.edu. Are you looking for a new hobby, a place to make friends, or a great date night? Sage Hall at the Cache County Fairgrounds has country swing dancing every Tuesday night. Founded with Cache Valley and Utah State University at its heart, hundreds of people come each week to Sage Hall to meet, dance, and create lasting memories. To stay up to date with all upcoming dances, you can find Sage Hall on Instagram or Facebook at sage.hall.utah or on their website at sagehallutah.com. 
Ripples and Logan provides the community with a way to make a difference by donating life-saving plasma. A new donor can earn up to $800 in their first month donating. The mission at Griffles is to improve the health and well-being of people around the world. Griffles Biomat USA is located in Logan next to Al's Sporting Goods. More information can be found at grifflesplasma.com. Welcome back to Aggie Radio 92.3 KBLU LP Logan. I'm Jacob Nielsen. Alongside me, Jake Ellis, and this is the, the, the third segment of our Aggie Radio Sports Show. Jake, I got a question for you, my man. What time did you get back from Las Vegas <laughs> on Saturday night slash Sunday morning? Mm, do you really want to know? I don't know if I do. <laughs> I don't know if I do. Okay, let me lay out the timeline for folks listening. So um, we are fortunate enough to catch a ride with the Spirit Squad. Um, and uh, they, uh, after the game, right, they, uh, they change out their uniforms. They go get some food while we're doing the post-game press conference. And then... Right after that's done, we hop on the bus and we hit the road to Las Vegas, um, or from Las Vegas up to Logan. So, um, you know, what? do you want to guess? Take a guess. What time did we get back? Um, it, you should have gotten back. You would have left at about 8, probably, 7 or 8, which means you should have gotten back at about 3. But then there was the time change, and then on top of that, there was daylight savings. So my guess is you got back at 5 a.m. That is uh, just about right. I think it was – I didn't look at my clock because I was, you know, getting sick of clock watching, right? It <laughs> makes the time go slower. But it was between 5 and, like, 5.30. Um, and I'm glad the sun wasn't coming up yet because it would have been tough to get to sleep when I got back. But, um, you know, super fortunate to be able to travel. I'm not going to complain about that. But uh, <laughs> it was tough to, to get back and then, you know, wake up to cover Selection Sunday. And uh, – yeah, but super exciting now. Hopefully, you can get a flight to Sacramento instead of a bus, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, uh, no, we're we're grateful for for airplane travel. You know, this has been it, it's crazy. Like how I can't imagine what, what the team was feeling like because you know we as journalists covering these games back to back to back last week in Vegas, I was exhausted after the mm-hmm. after the the Boise State game. I had to write a preview to drop first thing Saturday morning about the San Diego State game. So, you know, I finish my gamer against Boise State at 2. I drive home, and then I have to keep riding into the wee hours in the morning, and then it was a quick turnaround. That's kind of – so we're kind of feeling a little bit of that that fatigue, but this, we love it. Like, this is yeah. what it is all about. But that just, just that's just a, another thing of, like, how, so how if, was yeah. the team feeling <laughs> yeah. on Saturday in that championship game? If we were tired just watching them and writing about it, how were they feeling after they – exerted themselves for back-to-back-to-back games. Man, I can't imagine. I mean, I'm sure most people have heard now what Stephen Ashworth said. He only got four and a half hours of sleep Mm -hmm. between the semifinal and the championship game. So probably something that needs to be looked at because the only time you're going to play back-to-back games like this is in the conference tournaments and then some multi-team events, those early tournaments in the season. Because even in the NCAA tournament, you got at least one day between each game. And then, you know, as you move on to rounds, you get, you know, extra few days between to recover. Mm-hmm. It's an important part, you know, of these these athletes' and health. I will say every conference tournament is back-to-back-to-back to back to back Yeah, not just The difference the of the Utah State over the Mountain West is Utah State had back-to-back days where they finished their game almost at midnight. And then what is different than other conferences is it was much earlier in the day. 
than all the other games, right? Usually the top seeds, they play in the mornings or in the midday during the week, and then come Saturday slash Sunday, it's another midday or an evening one. So there's plenty. It's still brutal, three, three games in three days, but there's reasonable, there's 24 hours between games. Yeah. This one was just an insane turnaround, right? And so it's something that Utah State's had to face several times because they've been this two-seed. This wasn't the first time, but you could definitely definitely see how worn out they were. But it doesn't matter now. They're in the tournament, March Madness. The only team in the Beehive State to be in the NCAA tournament, they've been the best team in the state all year, well-deserving. But, I mean, how big is this for the Aggies to be back the first time in the Ryan Odom era, but also they've qualified for the tournament for the last five years. That's building something pretty substantial. Yeah. No, definitely. It's becoming, you know, a big, big part of the school. Um, I think it's, you know, one of the first things that I, you know, thought about popped into my head when I was considering, you know, what universities to attend, right, was, you know, well, Utah State has a really fun basketball program. That could be something fun to do in my free time, right? Um, so I've, not only is that important for the university along with, you know, the money and exposure that you know, a successful basketball program brings, but it's also providing people in Cache Valley a really great opportunity to recreate and get entertainment, um, so that's super cool. Uh, more importantly, you know, for Utah State as a program, it's, uh, you know, like I mean, not many teams in the country can say they've been, you know, in the NCAA tournament four times in the last five seasons. Well, you can put that caveat on the 2020 season, you know, the tournament got canceled. So Utah State actually one of the few teams that were like confirmed to be in that tournament because uh, they got that automatic qualifier of the Mountain West Championship. Um, the uh, big thing here. Uh, is you know continuing to build on that success because you will likely have Kurt uh, you know coach turnover throughout the years as a program you know I think most people have accepted that you know that long tenure of Stu Morrill probably won't happen again just with the modern landscape of college basketball you know you never know and I'm not saying that I'm hearing anything about Ryan Odom I'm just saying we saw what happened with Craig Smith right so it's important for Utah State to kind of stay as a powerful mid-major that can attract, you know, up-and-coming coaches that can continue to, you know, make Utah State basketball what it is. Jake, really, really well put. I'll say this. I got to campus fall 2018, which was the first year that Craig Smith was the head basketball coach. And, you know, I had a mission partially in between that, so I haven't been here for every single year, but I've been here for at least part of every year, right? And when I got to campus, as a sports junkie, I knew Utah State. I knew about the spectrum, and I knew about the student section, and I knew how legendary the student world teams were. But those were a thing of the past. Utah State basketball as of late was just a moderately decent, borderline bad program under Tim Durier. And... That lasted for 2014, 2015. Well, Stu Morrill actually retired 2015, I believe. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, didn't have the best. In the last yeah, recruiting took a dip yeah. when they started the Mount West. So it was really, really important with Chrysler coming in that bringing excitement back into the program, and then also just be winning games. And what happened is he lucked out having uh, Sam Merrill stay. Namias Keta joins the team mostly because Dale Cabrita from Portugal is already on the roster. Those two are superstars, 
NBA caliber players. Craig Smith is a great coach as well. I'm not um, denying that. But when you have those two guys, that says a lot, and that can take your program really far. So that's what got him there in 2019 and 2020. 2021, Namias Kenna just balled out. And I thought the coaches did a really good job that year. But, you know, it was really, really close. And by the time they got to that game, it was a 6-11 matchup against Texas Tech. You could tell they just had no business being on that court with Texas Tech. Like, they just could not hang in that game. Here's what's so big about this year. This has continued. It wasn't just, now we've proven that it wasn't just, hey, amazing run with Craig Smith. You had two amazing players. That was cute. Now back to mediocrity. Right place, right timing. Exactly. And that's, you know, how it worked out. Now you have the third coach sets to moral is gone. You have him coming in and Ryan Odom. And they are back in the NCAA tournament, not because they got hot the last weekend of the year and got the automatic bid because they had an amazing season and earned an at-large. And is Namias Kent on the roster? No. Is Justin Bean on the roster? No. Is Sam Merrill on the roster? No. They have developed guys. Steven Ashworth. He was there in 2020 as a freshman. Barely played in that tournament game. Mac, Mac Shulga barely played in that tournament game. Now they're both double-digit scorers, you know. Had some great transfers. You get Taylor Funkin. That's the side of a good program that they recruited Taylor Funk. He could have gone to all sorts of places, including BYU, including Florida. He came to Utah State because it was a good program and he wanted to make the tournament. That's what it's about. This isn't a one-time thing. This is Utah State building a culture of success. Now, what's the next step in increasing that culture of success, Jake? Winning an NCAA tournament Winning. for the first time since 2001. Not a tournament, sorry, a game in the tournament. Were you alive in 2001, you know, Jake Um, That game? No. I was not alive during that game because it would have been March 2001. I was not alive. Jake Ellis, the sports editor of the Utah Statesman, <laughs> was not alive the last time Utah State won in the NCAA tr- I didn't tournament. even think about that. That's insane. I was alive because I was alive for 9-11. I remember sure. that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but. <laughs> That's not a laughing matter. <laughs> I apologize. But Jake Ellis was not. They are, they are on an eight-game losing streak. Same losing streak as Boise State, but I might add, Boise State's only been to eight. They're 0-8. Mm-hmm. Utah State's actually had success in the past. They have a Sweet 16 team in they, the they do. They do. They need to get it done. You know, they've had some close some close calls, some really tough matchups, some years they were underseeded. I think especially the, the Ty Wesley um, 2011, the fact they were a 12 seed against Kansas State was just outrageous. Like, yeah. That was such a snub. But they need to finally get that monkey off their back. It was something that Sam Merrill talked about. I don't know if you remember, when Sam Merrill hit that shot to beat San Diego State, the first thing he said in the postgame with CBS is, glad I made it. Now we're on to the NCAA tournament where we haven't won since 2001. We need to win when we get there. After all the chaos that had happened, all the things going on in his head, that was forefront of his brain. Yep. He didn't get that chance because of covid He'll never get that back. That's a sad reality that happened. This team has an opportunity right now. I think they're different than the team in 2021 because they can score the basketball. And their main contributor is not a big man, which is tough because, you know, he can't create for himself, you know. This year, they have what it takes. They have to play their best basketball. You cannot play moderately okay against Missouri with the caliber of athletes they have and how well they are scoring the basketball and turning over the ball, 
you cannot just play okay and come out with the win. You have to play your best basketball. And I think if Utah State plays their best basketball, they have a chance to win this game. If they do it, not only is this a team that can make the NCAA tournament, this is a team that can win in the NCAA tournament. Those two are very different things. Yeah. If you can be an at-large bid in a mid-major conference out west that can win in the NCAA tournament, that speaks volumes in recruiting and national respect in terms of attention the fan base is getting. BYU and Utah aren't playing this week because they're not as good as Utah State. Every kid up and down the Wasatch front, they're going to be filling out their brackets. They're going to be watching the March Madness games in their statistics statistics classes in their yeah. art classes they're going to see utah state guess what time the game is at? it's thursday it's the third game of the day during the day so i mean this is like maximum hype of like okay let's go it's march madness mm-hmm. they win this game it's like oh man those boys ain't playing in low right yeah so that's what's at stake here so many things not to put pressure on the team but like you got to go out and you got to compete and you got to try to get the job done well, and pressure isn't a bad thing. I mean, you don't want to pressure be is a privilege. overwhelmed, but you're right. It's And it's something they've talked about the whole season. They want to leave a, the, the Aggie jersey in a better place than where they picked it up, right? They want to leave that legacy. It's something they've emphasized throughout the whole season. So they're embracing that challenge. It's not a burden on the team. They wanted to be here. They wanted to have this opportunity. They have it, and now it's time to go execute, uh, you know, to use some coach talk there. But uh, – you know, another big thing there, like you're mentioning, um, is uh, <laughs> being one of those first games. I mean, it's a it's national exposure. It's on TNT. It's like, you know, that is one of the basketball networks. You know, you, <laughs> uh, when you think of March Madness, it's TNT CBS, right? So super uh, great placement there. Um, maybe, you know, a little early for some of the folks that are going to be working during the day. But, uh, hey, you know, they got that boss button on the app for a reason. So use it and figure it out because um, it'll be a good game and it'll be worth your time um, and another thing to mention here you talked about this on twitter a little bit uh utah state's starting to get some darling nods a little bit of you know maybe they might be able to upset some people and make a run because like you said this is a team that's built to have wins in the tournament and tell me why tell me about this archetype because you know we know about the three-point ball but tell me why utah state is making these lists as a dark horse candidate in the ncaa tournament well i think they're balanced they're great offensively but they're balanced offensively so you can't just scheme to stop one guy you can't just stop steven ashworth and win the basketball game right so many different guys can score can put up big numbers and so you can shoot really well but you're balanced and this is a team that has proved throughout the year they can rebound so i think that's where it starts is like man this team can score points and in 40 minutes of basketball if you can outshoot your opponent you might win that game there's a pretty good chance that's how basketball works obviously (laughs) so i think it's as simple as that right there is they have so many different weapons from Taylor Funk to Steven Ashworth to Dan Atkin to Max Shulga to Sean Bershta that can beat you, that they could they could take anyone, not anyone. I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to go and they're going to beat Alabama. No. That's not going to happen. That's but, not a reasonable expectation either. But they could run the table by beating Missouri. I don't even want to talk about the Arizona game. I, there were some some takes of they're a, they're a hot take to make the Sweet 16. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think that they have what it takes to beat Arizona. But that that doesn't even matter. That, I that think point that's that's where you get into the putting pressure on people. To, yeah. You'd have to be a Sweet 16 team. Like, no, 
Like, go out there and play your best ball against an SEC team and see what happens. So if Utah State beats Missouri, there should be a parade on Main Street. Yep. Because the first that's time not a high in 22 years. First time in 22 years, you beat a major program as an at-large bid. Holy cow, that would be mega. Mm-hmm. Can they do it? We're going to see. We're going to see on Thursday. I think they have... They have the dudes. They have the computers. They got the the the, the spreads on their side and the betting. Um, they just they got to play their best basketball, and you know you got to trust that anyone who knows how to win a tournament game as a lower seed is obviously Ryan Odom and yeah. his staff. What um, kind of pressure is that uh, once you upset number one? Now uh, every time, every time you're gonna play. I mean, we've seen it in the regular season too. But anytime you get to the postseason, it's gonna be like. This team has upset potential. It's led by Ryan Odom. <laughs> but, you know, it's true to an extent that this is a guy that can get uh, his players to believe in themselves and to, um, you know, challenge a really good team. One last thing. we probably got to wrap up here in a moment. Yeah. Ryan Odom, he doesn't act like he rolls his eyes every time people bring up UMBC because he brings it up himself all the mm-hmm. time. He brought it up after the Boise State game. Yeah. Or was it the same? One of the games he brought it up about, it's all a blur to me, mm-hmm. about how there was a group chat with all the UMBC people. This is his first year back in the NCAA tournament since he knocked off Virginia in the 2018 NCAA tournament. And so that, that's a storyline there. That'll probably be more national. That They'll probably broadcast that on the TNT tele- telecast. Yeah. But that, that's something to it, too, is like, this guy has done it before. Let's see, uh, let's see if he can go do it again. You're right. Um, it'll be a, a big one. 11.40 Mountain Time. You can hear it right here on this station, Aggie Radio 92.3. So, you know, make sure that you are watching the Aggies. If you can't make it past school or work, you know, you have to watch this, you know, on TV at the very least if you can't make it out to Sacramento. It's a big, big game for or the program. on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. On the radio is also very good. I, uh, I guess you're not going to be watching. With our boy Scotty G. You're not going to be watching much. On the radio. No, but you'll be listening but to you'll the, be listening. the silky, silky, smooth voice of Scott Gerard. So there you go. All right. That's all the time we have today for the Aggie Radio Sports Show. I'm Jake Ellis for Jacob Nielsen. Thanks so much for listening, and you all have a great night. Cool, Aggies. This is Blair Barker.